why did he do it? Then there's a theology, what about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then there's a devotional, what about me? What am I supposed to do? Why and how do I do it? So we're going to look at the history of the passage at this point, and we're going to call this history Jacob and Esau. Let me explain to you what's going on. These are two dysfunctional siblings, Jacob and Esau. They're brothers. They're twins of Isaac, who is Abraham's son. And they look very different with very different personalities. Now, I have specific theories about this that we're not going to get into here. If you want to hear my theories, you've got to come to Deep End on Tuesday nights at the Nightlife Center at uh, 6.30 for dinner. And afterwards, we discuss this kind of stuff, stuff that's too offensive to discuss here on Sunday morning. <laughs> right? All right, yeah, sure. so, all right, so you're right. Easily offended, don't come to Deep Now, um, Esau was a very rough man with very bad morals. He wasn't a good guy. Jacob was a smooth operator, and he was no saint in his own right. Both had no personal righteousness of their own. One was not necessarily better than the other. But for some reason, God declared from birth, for reasons only that God knows. Did we get it? Oh, did you find it? That would be fantastic. Oh. Everybody just breathe. <laughs> okay. So neither one of them had good morals. Neither one of them had personal righteousness. But for some reason, God decided very on, very early on, that Jacob would be the one that he chose to continue the promises that he made to Abraham, saying, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of your family. Isaac will be born. And then Isaac will have sons, and I'm going to choose Jacob to continue the line. Even though Esau was technically the firstborn, sounds a lot like the rivalry between Cain and Abel in some respects, doesn't it? And here's what God says in Genesis chapter 25. He says, and the Lord said to her, to uh, Jacob and Esau's mom, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That was God's choice for any of these kids that ever made any choices of their own. And look at this, very interesting, because in Romans 9, 10 to 13, look what it says here, what Paul writes. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet even born, had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of their works of righteousness, because we already established both of them were pretty bad guys, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. See, that is a really hard passage to get around, isn't it? It's a little bit disturbing. It is disturbing on its surface, but in reality, when you look at the theology of this, it's quite See, here's what happens. Give you some history here. Jacob, already knowing he's the child of the promise, for some reason feels like he has to take matters into his own hands, kind of like what Abraham and Sarah did. And what Jacob does is he cheats Esau out of his earthly birthright on a time when Esau was really hungry and didn't have any food. And Jacob says, I'll give you some soup if you give me your birthright. So Esau, who's driven by his flesh, he can only think of what he wants right here and right now, trades in his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. And Jacob goes even further and deceives his father Isaac, who at the time was blind, 
Esau was a very hairy guy, so Jacob puts a, a, a glove on that looks like he's kind of hairy, and he touches his father and says, give me your blessing. And his father thinks that he's blessing Esau, but he's actually blessing Jacob. Of all this, you can understand why Esau would be pretty angry, right? I mean, number one, he's chosen. Number two, he cheats me out of my money. Number three, he cheats me out of my father's blessing. This is ridiculous. And so Esau wants to kill Jacob. It's Jacob taking God's promise into his own hands. And this all made Esau very angry. And quite frankly, all of this was really unnecessary on Jacob's part. But he does it anyway. It was done out of a lack of ability for him, Jacob, to trust that God would keep his promises. You know that phrase, the Lord helps those who help themselves? It's a lie. <laughs> you help those who help yourself. God doesn't need your help to keep his promises. Thank God for that. So, we have bad decisions that lead to bad circumstances. His deception and his manipulation of his brother and his father has led to very damaged family relationships. This family is now an absolute chaotic mess. The one who's supposed to be the guy who fulfills all the promises is now running away from his brother who wants to kill him. It's a real mess. And what happens is, Jacob is now going to a place where he feels helpless and hopeless. And he's running and he's weary from all his circumstances and all of the pain he's caused himself and his family. And he says, I don't know what to do. So he just lays down and puts his head on a rock and falls to sleep. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones and put it under his head as a pillow. That's a great pillow. <laughs> and look what happens next. Jacob's faith is restored. In a moment, Jacob's mindset and his emotions are dramatically transformed. God gives him this dream, this dream of this ladder that's coming from earth to heaven. And on this ladder, there are angels going up and coming down. And what these angels are doing is they are carrying out the work of God keeping his promises to Abraham years before. And that's what this ladder is a picture of. It's an image. And the scripture says, And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. In other words, I didn't go to sleep looking for a sign. I didn't go to sleep looking for a dream to fix everything. I went to sleep thinking, I have messed up my life royally, and there's nothing I can do. And God intervenes and gives him this dream, which brings me to his unsolicited, Jacob's unsolicited grace life moment. God sees Jacob needing a reminder. Hey, I'm the one that made the promise. It's my job to keep it, not yours. And he knew, this is, what, this is what Heavenly Dad did for Jacob. He knows that Jacob is a human. He knows that Jacob is a flawed man. He knows that Jacob is a deceiver. He knows all these things. And he knows that Jacob is struggling from the consequences of his own sinfulness. And in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of him sleeping outside in the wilderness with his head on a rock, running from his brother, all those things, somehow Heavenly Dad knew exactly what Jacob needed right at that moment. He sees that Jacob needs a reminder of the promise, and he gives Jacob a grace life moment, a God moment, if you will. And right when Jacob was probably ready to give up on the promise, thinking he had earned his way out of being ever, ever to be blessed by God again, he's thinking there's no way God could ever bless my life. 
I have screwed up so much. I've messed everything up. I know he made the promise, but he's probably going to pick someone else because I don't deserve it. Right when he's thinking God has given up, God gives him a grace life moment, a dream revealing this picture of this stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin, you know, I'm going to back up just a little. I want you to see this picture. I drew that myself. It's a really good picture, isn't it? Sees the evening reminder. He has his grace life moment. He gives it this dream of this stairway, this connection. And here's what God says to him in verse 15, right? This is, this is right here. He has this dream, and God says, Behold, Jacob, you deceiver. No, he didn't say that. He just says, Jacob, listen. I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. Whatever you do, I will always bring you back to this land, to this point. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you that I would do. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Isn't that amazing? Like, Jacob was totally not expecting, Well, you know what? I know I deceived Esau. I know I deceived my dad. I know my brother wants to kill me. I'm just going to go to sleep. God will send me a sign. Everything will be fine tomorrow. He didn't go to sleep thinking that. He thought, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm screwed up. It's done. And right at the right moment, God comes through with this unsolicited grace-like moment. And this dream points Jacob back to the work of God in his life. Now, I want you to understand, this stairway is a reminder of Jesus. And there's an, a New Testament example in John chapter 1, verses 45 to 51. I'm going to just tell you a little about it and just read a couple of verses. But basically what happens is there's this guy, Philip. And he tells his friend Nathaniel about this Jesus guy and this amazing message. He says, you've got to hear about this guy, Jesus. And Nathaniel says, where is he from, Nazareth? There's no way anybody good can come from Nazareth. That's like saying, there's no way anything good can come from Palmetto. <laughs> He's from Northport? No way. <laughs> Lake Sarasota, please, give me a break. <laughs> He's not... West of the trail, it clearly good people. That's all I <laughs> Jesus then comes up and surprises Nathaniel by showing that he knew Nathaniel even before Nathaniel had met Jesus. Isn't that how it always works with God's children, by the way? God knows you before you even think you know God. And that's what happens with Nathaniel here. This is an amazing story. He surprises him, and Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip even told you who I was. I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are clearly the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I knew you before. I saw you under the fig tree. That's why you believe? i got to tell you, Nathaniel, you'll see greater things than this. And look what Jesus says. And he said, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that what was happening with the ladder of Jacob? Angels ascending and descending. What Jesus is saying is this. I was the latter. I am the one that God fulfills his promises to Abraham through. I am the stairway to heaven. Isn't that cool? That's a theology. That's deep stuff, isn't it? 
Did God have to do this for Jacob, by the way? I mean, couldn't God just have kept going on fulfilling his promise and not worry about Jacob's emotions and how he felt? I mean, couldn't God just keep doing what he does? This grace-like moment was not necessary for God to continue to do what he promised to do to Jacob. He could have just let Jacob keep suffering and twisting the wind if he wanted to. You know what this dream was? This image of Jesus' ladder? It was pure grace. A personalized gift from Heavenly Dad to one of his kids who was really hurting. So let's come to the fun part, the devotional part of the passage. I want to talk about grace-like moments when God needs a reminder or when faith needs a reminder. So my question is, can you relate to Jacob? <clears throat> Circumstances leaving you helpless and hopeless, feeling like you're no longer a child of the promise. Anybody ever been in that situation? Well, God knows exactly what your faith needs in those moments. I'm going to share, share with you a personal story. So, see those? Some of you have heard this story before, I know, but it's, it's such a great story. So I'm going to tell you about my unexpected grace-like moment. This is about three months after uh, our daughter Sarah uh, had died, and I had been fired from the church that I was in about two months after she died. It was really a rough time in our life. We're reeling, we're uncertain, we're questioning what it is that God wants us to do. And I hate sharing this story with some of you because I know it may sound really silly, but at the time it meant a lot to me, to us. So we're here with friends in Florida. We're struggling with the idea that we start this thing called Mobile Preacher and Nightlife. What do we do? You know, and we're struggling through it. We're looking through the internet and, you know, looking at, you know, how do we file the papers? What do we do? You know, legal Zoom, whatever. How do we do it? I'm not sure, okay, I'm going to do it, but I don't know. I mean, I don't even have enough money to buy ramen noodles. How am I going to start a ministry, you know? And so we, we went through, we were with our friends who we love, and we're just talking through it. Okay, fine, we'll do it. Okay, great, now let's have dinner. So we're eating Chinese food. I wasn't looking for a sign. I wasn't looking for a grace-like moment. I wasn't saying, okay, I will start Mobile Preacher in the Nightlife Center if we get a message from a fortune cookie that tells us to do it. <laughs> Other than that, right? Other than that, we're not doing it. I was totally unsuspecting of what happened next. My wife opens a fortune cookie, and it says, you're heading for a land of sunshine. We were in New York at the time. It says, we're heading, I mean, like five minutes after. We're this fortune cookie. We're heading to a land of sunshine and relaxation. Not only that, see the lottery numbers? We played them on a pick five and won $3 million. That was incredible. <laughs> Just joking. I didn't, I didn't play the lottery. Don't you Baptists judge me for that. <laughs> There's no such thing as you shouldn't be that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Guys, we didn't make a decision because of the fortune cookie. The decision was already made. God was making it very clear what he wanted us to do, but we're still very nervous about it. Should we do this? Cashing every penny of our IRA and our savings and everything we have and come back to a town that we love, but we don't really have much. But in the midst of our grief, in the midst of all the unknown that was going on in our lives, God gave us a grace-like moment. He used this silly, stupid little fortune cookie to remind me that he's the one that keeps promises. You know what it was like? It was like a personal hug for me from Heavenly Dad. And 
he's saying, hey, I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling, but I got this. I got you. I'm keeping my promises. It's all right. Now, this is important to understand. I don't venerate that fortune cookie. I don't venerate that moment. I don't worship that moment. I didn't build a statue there or, or build a big cathedral around it. You know, this was the day the fortune cookie went. I didn't do anything like that, okay? I don't venerate the moment or worship that silly fortune cookie. In fact, within a few seconds, I wasn't even thinking about the cookie anymore. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about the grace life. Man, serving Jesus, the stairway to heaven is awesome. And this was an unexpected unsought, tailor-made gift from God that rushed our hearts and our minds into the comfort of being children of the promise. For us, it was like a little love note from Heavenly Dad. I know you're nervous. I know you're hurting. I know there's a lot of unsure things. Now, these aren't moments that you should crave and hunt. I don't want you to go saying, well, I can't wait for my next grace. That's, that, see, we don't live from one grace-like moment to the next. That's not how we live our lives. We don't live from, if I can just get a sign from God. The scripture says an evil and perverse generation seeks after a sign. So we're not looking and hunting for the next sign of fleece we put out. You know, if, if things happen this way or that way, then I'll do this. That's not what I'm saying. That's the wrong perspective to have, and actually, it would actually trivialize the meaning and impact of a grace-like moment. Just like Jacob, grace-like moments are precious, intimate, unexpected, and surprising times where Heavenly Dad says, Hey, your faith's a little weak. I know your faith is struggling. I know exactly what it needs right now. Here's a gift. They are designed for one reason. Not to tell us yes or no, but to remind us that Jesus is the stairway to heaven. So my question to you guys, have any of you ever had a grace life moment? Have you had a grace life moment and you thought, that sure seemed like something? No, I'm not allowed to believe in that. Or maybe the other, the other extreme is, that was a grace life moment. I'm never believing in this spot again. I'm going to wait until it happens again. So there's two extremes, right? People who are afraid of grace-like moments, that just seems too weird. Uh, that's got to be a coincidence. And other people, oh, man, that's, that's magical. It's glorious. I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. But have you ever had a real, unexpected, intimate, tailor-made, grace-like moment that reminded you that Jesus is your stairway to heaven? Can you remember any times where God's tailor-made, grace-like moment bolstered your waning faith? Faith that his promises that he made in his word that you can trust? Anybody? Here's why. Because Jesus knows exactly what your faith needs when it needs it. This is what we call perseverance of the saints. It's not because the saints are so great and so strong and so powerful that they never make mistakes. As a matter of fact, if there's anybody that could mess up the gift of faith, it's the people that receive it. But God says, I'm the one that gave you faith. I'm the one that made it a gift. I'm going to be the one that makes sure it stays strong enough to complete the good work that I started in. And I know exactly what your faith needs, when it needs it, and I will tailor-make specific helps along the way 
That's what I call grace-like moments. Look, it might be a silly moment, like a little fortune cookie. It could be very serious. It could be simple. It could be profound. It could be subtle. It could be a huge thing. I know this. Whatever the situation calls for, he will use a grace-like moment to ensure your faith and his promise remains steady and strong and you are reminded Jesus is the stairway. Jesus is the one that God is using to fulfill his promises. It's not up to me. Grace-like moments are little precious gifts. You guys hear me talk about the grace life all the time, right? It's not a name of a church. It's a lifestyle that we're living together. And every once in a while in that lifestyle, God does something to remind you Oh, yeah, it's real. Don't worry. I got you. Heavenly Dad, I'm so thankful for little grace-like moments. I know we don't worship them, we don't venerate them, we don't even look for them. But because of grace, undeserved favor, for whatever reason, you intervene every once in a while and just give us a little sign that tells us, hey, just like Jacob's little dream about a ladder, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you until I finish what I promised.